Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. And this is Pete Vecchi, one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. It's good to be with you today for another episode of Reconciling Grace. You know, one of the things that I've realized is that I don't know that we ever mentioned who gives that introduction. That is Melody Morris from faithandfriendsradio.com, and we thank Melody for being able to introduce us each week. And with me today, I'm going to have two gentlemen who are here. I guess you're gentlemen. We're going to have Steve Wilson, who is a Christian author, and I just found out a Christian computer game programmer pretty soon, video game programmer, and uh, he has a master's degree from United Theological Seminary in Dayton, and along with us today is also Mick Wells, who is the co-host of the Cross Connection radio program and who's been a member of the Wells of Salvation Ministries since 1980. Gentlemen, it's good to have you with us today, and today's subject is going to be what is the church? And Mick, you're kind of taking the lead on this one, so why don't I just throw it over to you right now? Yeah, this one is uh, like five gallons of water trying to get it in a three-gallon bucket. This uh, almost larger than life. I think when you consider trying to define something or capture, encapsulate what it is, uh, things like the church, it, it has uh, some merit to consider not only what is it, but what it's not. But uh, Steve and Pete, if if I were to go up to a person on the street and ask them what the church is, what do you think I'd get? I got a response to that question from my sister. Uh, she said, I put this question on Facebook. I said, what is the church? And my sister responded, well, it's the place where people go to hear a pastor or preacher talk. I thought you knew that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, we learn something every day. <laughs> what would you say, Pete? I think that would be the most common um, response for most people is that it's going to be that building. People go to church. Yeah. And the church is, in many people's thoughts, the building, as far as a popular conception. Yeah, I, I would agree. The, the, the usage of the term today, people will naturally think, oh, there's a bit, you know, that conjures up the image of a building, maybe a cross on the top. And you mean a big plus sign? A big plus. <laughs> Didn't you know that? <laughs> yeah, a big plus sign. And, uh, you know, who knows what people will think of. It would probably be what the churches they're familiar with. I, I like personally looking for old church buildings that are abandoned because they're part of history. Churches come and go. Some people may be thinking these days, it may conjure up the image of a, a mega church, you know, and those things are, are are rather huge. Well, interestingly, if you took this concept of the church back to uh, early New Testament times, we find out that there really weren't buildings. Well, there were, but they were houses, and the believers got together and they worshipped. And uh, we see this replicated today. Sometimes there are small groups within a larger uh, association of believers, but uh, back in first century, Christians often were persecuted, and, and so they met secretly in homes, so they didn't go to any big building with a steeple. Those came with 
over time, and people associated the word church with those, those buildings. But the church um, is the people. It's, it's not the buildings that they meet in. Uh, there is a church, probably the best term for it is a church building. And church structures uh, facilitate the role of God's people, but they don't fulfill the role of the church. Well, a little more background here before we get into the scriptures. Um, I did what any good student would do, going out to dictionary.com, and found 14 definitions of the noun form of, of the word church to include a building, the whole body of Christian believers, a Christian denomination, uh, part of the whole Christian body, or a part of a particular denomination belonging in the same city, country, or region, um, body of Christians worshiping in a particular building, uh, an ecclesiastical organization as distinguished from the state. You've heard of church and state. And um, a place of worship. Now, the dictionary goes beyond Christianity uh, to define it as a place of public worship of a non-Christian religion or any non-Christian religious society, organization, or congregation. If you ask the IRS uh, what the church is, they would say, well, it's a group of folks who applied for uh, tax-exempt status and recognition, uh, and they have to meet certain criteria that the IRS has, and they're not necessarily Christian, but their criteria resembles the trappings of, you know, having a recognized creed and ecclesiastical government, ordained ministers, established places of worship, and things like that. The IRS has been known to grant tax-exempt status to uh, churches uh, to include satanic churches and churches that are organized principally to smoke cannabis. I think that one of the things that you said there was the use of a very little word, and you said that the IRS would say that the church is. And I think that maybe the IRS more properly, at least from a theological standpoint, would say that a church is one of these things because from a theological standpoint I don't think that any of us would say that the church would be some of those things you talked about including a satanic uh, place of worship well the article I read said that there's a satanic church that applied for tax-exempt status and right. was approved by the IRS under their guidelines right so what I'm saying though is I don't think that the IRS speaks for Christianity when it calls something the church but they would call it a church. That's all I was getting at. Yeah, that has the characteristics of what they're looking for. I'm just saying that outside the Christian world, the definition of church gets broadened a little bit. In fact, even within the Christian church, um, I, I found a, a number of groups within Christianity who believe that they're the only ones. They're the only Christians. Uh, they basically say you're not a member of the true church if you don't belong to us, and I won't go into all the, the details. But when you look at the Bible, uh, we see the church basically referenced in terms of a couple things, one being the universal church, sometimes called the invisible church, and then also the local church, which is sometimes referenced as the visible church. So we want to look at a couple of scriptures now, first with respect 
uh, to the Universal Church. And uh, Steve, would you share for us uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13? For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Okay, to me, that this verse is saying that anyone who believes has accepted uh, what G who Jesus is and what he did in terms of his uh, sacrifice on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, what the price he paid for uh, the sin of the, the human race uh, that flows from Adam and Eve in the garden, that they are part of uh, the body of Christ. So basically, uh, the universal church of God is all those who have received salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Would you agree? I would say so. So uh, even if you're not a card-carrying member of a local church somewhere, if, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ and have accepted him as your Lord and Savior uh, for your salvation, you are a member of the universal church. You're not gonna get credentials other than Jesus saying, yes, uh, you're part of my body. Let's take a look then at a verse that speaks of uh, the local church. And uh, Pete, I'm gonna throw this to you with uh, reference to Galatians chapter one, verses one and two. Right. It says, Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Now, I know I skipped a few words there, but those yeah. are the pertinent ones. Well, that's basically true. The, now, notice it says churches. Um, you know, the, the word church in the Bible is <clears throat> actually um, a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, uh, which refers to um, an assembly. Um, for Christian purposes, the uh, assembly, it's an assembly of believers. So now um, we just learned that there's one true universal church, invisible church, and now we see uh, Paul writing to, quote, the churches, plural, in Galatia. And so we can see that in the province of Galatia, there were many churches, many of what we would term um, a local church. Again, we're not talking about a building necessarily. Uh, we're not talking about, <clears throat> in modern day terms, a Baptist church, a Lutheran church, a Catholic church, etc. It's it's not in the same sense of a universal church, but it's a local church, a local body of believers. Uh, very interesting uh, that the. Uh, the universal church is comprised of those who belong to Jesus Christ, who have trusted in him for salvation. These members of the universal church should seek fellowship and edification in a local church. But it's very interesting. Somebody's noted that you can be <clears throat> a non-believer, basically, and still a member of a local church, whereas the universal church has all of them are true believers by definition what do you think my thought is that officially most local churches would require you to have a statement of belief but then again 
that's not up to the church to say if that is your true statement of belief or not. That's something that's in a person's heart, whether that's between them and God. So a particular local congregation would probably say in order for you to be a member, you're supposed to believe, for instance, in Jesus Christ and his reconciling grace. And somebody might say, oh, sure, I believe that. But whether or not that person truly believes that in their heart, that's something between them and God. Yeah, I think so, Pete. Um, only God really knows the, the heart. I've, I've known of people who have joined churches because they were expected to socially. You know, it was expected of a, of a professional, uh, a doctor, a banker, etc. They were expected in their community to be members of a church, and they joined. But are they members of the true church of God? Are they members of the universal invisible church, which says, I'm a member, the Christian uh, in China is a member, etc. There, there would be a distinction, but I, I thought that was a, a pretty good insight. I think it's a great insight, and uh, I know there's a lot more that you would like to get into yet during this session, Mick, and before we move on, I think it would be a good time to first uh, have a word from our sponsor. And we're back with Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi. Today with me are Steve Wilson and Mick Wells. And Mick, you've kind of been leading the discussion today on what is the church. And we've just talked about the universal church and the local church. And I think you wanted to pick up something from about that point. Yeah, thanks, Pete. What I want to do is is, uh, first look at what the scripture says about the foundation of the church. And then we want to go into some verses uh, that show us the character of the invisible church and then as we did before the break we distinguish the universal invisible church body of all believers we distinguish that from the visible local uh, assemblies so um, to start with there's a, a verse when you talk about the foundation of the church this is oft quoted and it doesn't make it very super clear to Christendom because there are all kinds of interpretations of this particular scripture. Steve, would you share for us uh, Matthew 16 and verse 18? I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And again, you're going to see all kinds of interpretations of this. Um, Do you have any insight from from your upbringing of what that verse means? Well, um, not necessarily just from my upbringing, but from all kinds of years of study and different uh, denominational backgrounds. Um, Some places, some denominations will say that Peter was the rock on which the church was built. Some people will say that Jesus was saying to Peter, you are Peter, the rock, and then kind of pointing on his own chest, Jesus is saying, and on this rock, I will build my church, meaning himself, meaning Jesus himself is the rock. Other people will say that it was the statement itself upon which the church is built. In other words, the confession that Peter made that Jesus, you are the Christ. And there are all kinds of different ways that that uh, is looked at in various uh, Christian circles. Yeah, it's very interesting when you look at the 
the Greek words, and I'm not by no means a Greek scholar, but when Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, the Greek interlinear Bible <clears throat> says that the word behind Peter is Petros with a capital P. That's a, that's a male uh, reference, and I, I think Jesus may be just doing a play on words, my own personal opinion, getting Peter to relate to this, because he says, on this rock, which is Petra in Greek, and that's a female form of the word, small p, P-E-T-R-A, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So <clears throat> the church is definitely built on a rock. Um, uh, Pete, I think you were sharing, should I call you Pete or Petro? I don't know. I had one uh, youth, <laughs> youth pastor one time who used to call me Petros, so I'm not sure what you should call me. And I don't think that this verse has anything to do with me. <laughs> I found a verse uh, where Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, chapter, chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. I, th I find this verse very interesting, and it may or may not be related. Paul writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and that all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock which is Greek Petrus, that followed them. And then Paul says, and the rock, Petra, was Christ. And <laughs> it may be uh, an oblique reference to what we're talking about. Uh, Steve, do you have any thoughts on this? So I'm seeing that he's saying that the people in the Old Testament were a part of the church because they drank from the Petra Jesus rock, right? They, they were certainly, I've, I've struggled with whether to call them the church, but they were, their faith was vested in an event which was prospective. In other words, they're saved by faith, but their faith is in the, the promise of, of the Messiah. So I guess in that sense, we'd have believers. Sure, and that kind of reminds me that the church, the invisible church, is more than just our generation. The church goes back to all Christians and, and maybe even all believers in the true God. Uh, they're all part of the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the transfiguration. Moses and Elijah were there with Jesus. I would think that that would mean that they were part of his church. When, um, when Moses was spoken to by God out of the burning bush, he said, I am the God of Abraham isaac and jacob and said that they are still alive so i think that there's got to be something like along what you're talking about steve that it's intergenerational even before the uh, actual events of the crucifixion and resurrection took place when we think of uh the saved the redeemed around the throne giving worship and praise uh, to god we think of uh the word called the saints the saints, and we are with that group of, of folks. When we're praising the Lord down here, we know that the saints that have gone before us are praising God uh, around his That's, throne. Uh, reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, where in Hebrews, uh, Paul goes through the whole kind of hall of faith. Yes. And then in chapter 12, he says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, mm -hmm. that, that all those people are kind of watching us, seeing what we're doing. There, there are a cloud of witnesses um, 
kind of cheering us on in the Christian faith. I, I believe that too. And it also gives me a little insight into what God permits in heaven. Uh, we know there's no sadness there, which makes me wonder why he lets them see what's going on here on earth. But uh, you're right, the great cloud of witnesses, unless it's referring specifically to angels, it's, it would be uh, the redeemed in heaven too, I, I, I suspect. What do you think, Pete? I would think so, because as Steve was just talking about, it goes through that whole litany of all the different people who um, were by faith um, brought into the kingdom of God and, and then refers to the great cloud of witnesses. That's, in my opinion at least, and I think in a lot of people's opinion, got to be referring to the same thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go on to talk a little bit about the invisible church. Uh, in the interest of time, we'll do this quickly. Uh, the invisible church and the characteristics of it. Uh, Pete, would you share with us uh, Romans twelve five? Sure. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the comparison there is to a body, and we see this at various places in the Scripture. And uh, I think, uh, Steve, you have 1 Corinthians 12, 12, which uh, reiterates that. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Yes, so clearly uh, the invisible church is made up of uh, or a body of Christ is the sum and total of the in, invisible church. All those who believe are, are baptized into one body. Um, also in the scriptures, Colossians 1.18 tells us, and he, referring to Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So we can see that uh, Jesus, his church is the body. That body is made up of us who have uh, given our hearts and lives and trust to Jesus Christ. We are members of that body. He's the head of the body. And I want to share with you another verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21 says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So these verses we've shared say that the church the invisible church is one body in Christ, and we are members that make up that one body. Christ is the head. We are members of the household of God, which I think is another uh, good description of the church, and Jesus being uh, the cornerstone. If you wanted to uh, look at the scriptures, you'll find various reference to uh, the church being the household of God. Now, a few scriptures um, concerning the local church. I'd like to draw your attention away from the universal uh, membership, if you will, in the body of Christ. We have these things called local churches. When you folks think about a church building in association with the word church, that's where a local church, a local assembly of believers 
has come together. So um, Acts 9 and verse 31 says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So there was a period of peace when the church could flourish and was not persecuted per se, but it says the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. I'll just throw this out, guys. Um, is the church there, speaking of local churches, it's talking about some pretty big regions where there's probably more than one assembly taking place. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. What do you think? Is that the universal church they're referring to, or is it a local church, or is it a regional conglomerate of churches? I would think it's a collection of the local churches in the region. Mm -hmm. Now, the local churches make up the, the larger church, the invisible church. Sure, and this applies to a region. So when we go to uh, the New Testament admonishments concerning how the church should operate, and I think you're going to get into that at some point, uh, Pete, in maybe a future program, but um, they're talking about elders, deacons, and so forth. Uh, that instruction is to specific local bodies and not regions of, uh, of churches. But I, I agree with what uh, Steve said. I think that was in the day before the United States mega churches. Yeah, <laughs> which seemed to branch out all over. Yes. Um, another verse here, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the church is blood-bought by God, uh, the instruction to people who care for uh, those who would assemble locally, uh, that's what this verse is, is directed to. I think you'll also find uh, similar verses in the book of, of, of Titus on instruction of um, overseers and deacons and so forth. I'm just uh, so impressed by these last few verses that Titus has church members so closely to Christ. Yeah. You know, that he bought us with his blood. We are part of his body. Uh, we're built on him as the cornerstone. I mean, it just shows the, the closeness of believers with Christ himself. Absolutely. Um, you know, um, I, that's a wonderful thought. And to let that sink in is very reassuring, especially in a time when uh, it's not popular to be a Christian and so forth. And there is persecution. Uh, of Christians in the world, when you consider what Christ did for us, that it is reassuring. I think the other thing that it helps us in reassuring is the idea that if uh, this person is good enough for Christ, they probably should be good enough for me too. I mean, there's so much time where there's infighting and disagreements within people in the church, but. I think another thing that we have found, or actually in, in practice, we haven't really talked about it here, is that the church isn't a perfect place because it's filled with imperfect people, and the church won't be perfect. I've heard it said before, the church won't be perfect as long as I'm a part of it, and it won't be perfect as long as you're a part of it either. 
and that's <laughs> and that's the case here that we need to be looking at. Sure. And I know that we could go on and on with this. This is a great topic. I wish we could keep on going, but as I'm looking at the clock, we're going to be down to about a minute here. Is there anything that you'd like to sum up in the last minute or so, Mick? Well, um, I'm n- I know you're going to, in the future going to get into the role of the church. I would just point out that uh, to the listeners, if you want to. Uh, take a look at, a, at Paul's instruction to a young pastor, Timothy. I'd encourage you to look at First Timothy. Uh, for instance, chapter 3, verse 15 says uh, that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Also look at the first chapter of Revelation where local seven local churches are mentioned. And I know there's a lot more we could say, but the music is playing. It's time for us to sign off. This is Pete Vecchi for Mick Wells and Steve Wilson. God bless you. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.